UFC 273 is in the books, and it's time to talk about what comes next for Alexander Volkanovsky, Aljamain Sterling, Pyotr Jan, Hamza Chemaev, and everybody else that stepped into the octagon on Saturday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Sunday, April 10th. I'm E. Spencer Kite, and these are the next day takeaways. Fans in the MMA world are weird to me because most events we come out of it, or, or many events, particularly pay-per-view events, we come out of the shows and there's some kind of conversation about who rose in the pantheon of greats and who increased their chances or, or got closer to being recognized as the GOAT in their respective divisions or in the sport as a whole. And then last night when I tweet out that Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter on the planet, I get a bunch of pushback. And some of it is people misreading what I wrote and believing that I said the best of all time, which is not the case because he's not the best of all time. But to me, he's the best fighter on the planet right now. And one of the things that somebody said was like, oh, there's there's all this instant reaction. And for me, it's not instant reaction. As I said, I, I wrote this at the start of the week on Tuesday. The, the title of my editorial on Tuesday was Alexander the Greatest, question mark, um, playing off his nickname, obviously, and laying out the case for him. It's something I've been thinking since his win over Brian Ortega, where we saw not only the technical elements of his game in terms of his striking and his, you know, submission defense and things like that, but a lot of the intangibles and a lot of what I think contributes to someone being in, in the conversation for being the best fighter on the planet at a given time. We saw him deal with that adversity of the two submission attempts and navigate it swiftly and patiently and calmly and not even need a real moment to reset afterwards, but instead to turn around and get right back on the offensive and, and almost understand I've lost that section of this round and I want to go out and get it back right now so that there's no question about whether the tide is turning here or whether the door is open for Ortega to get back into this fight. And of course he goes on and earns the unanimous decision victory in Houston. Last night in Jacksonville was the opposite of that in terms of how it played out. This was one-way traffic from the start. This was, as Volk had said going into the fight, a reminder and an indication to both Chan Sung Jung and everyone else in the division that there are levels to this and he is on a different level than everyone else at the moment. And for me, that performance on Saturday at UFC 273 cemented the fact that I think he is the greatest fighter on the planet right now. They talked about it in the broadcast uh, when they went to Dean Thomas about kind of the approach and <clears throat> Jung's team talking about how in scouting him and scouting Alexander Volkanovsky, you see that he likes to go to the leg kicks early, except in this fight, he didn't. He came out and he was throwing hands right away. He was sticking that jab right away. He was throwing that little hook in the, in the right hand right away that caught the Korean zombie off guard that started marking up the Korean zombie right away that put him in a hole right away and sort of throws you instantly off track of your game plan. 
that's one of those things that I think a lot of people maybe don't necessarily think about when it comes to determining or, or quantifying if somebody is amongst the best in the business. But for me, it means a lot because that to me is both an understanding of how others see you and how others are going to prepare for you, but also an incredible ability to take that and find a different way and implement something different that gives you, that still gives you an edge. Not everybody can do that. We've seen fighters for years now that fight the same way, that have the same approach, that that have pattern and structure and kind of definable characteristics and a definable way of fighting. That every time they come out, you know the tendencies and generally what you're going to get. And it's not that Volk changes up the weapons he uses, but the distribution of them and the way that he alters that approach to shift from three fights in a row or four fights in a row where he's throwing those low leg kicks to start things off and find his range to shifting that to throwing hands and being aggressive with his strikes right out of the gate in a situation like this in a championship fight is a defining characteristic to me and a differentiating characteristic to me. So is the fact that he goes out there and understands that he's got Chan Sung Jung on the ropes, but this is a guy that isn't going to go away early. So rather than burning myself out and chasing this down every time I have him hurt, and there were multiple times where he had the zombie hurt and had the zombie on shaky footing, he stays back and he stays patient and he stays true to what his plan was and what he does best and just finds his shots. Knowing that at some point, I'm going to find the one that ends this. And if I don't, it doesn't matter because I still dominated this fight. There's no question that I'm winning and going to win this fight. So I don't need to overextend. I can just stick to what I'm doing and put this guy away. We saw him at the end of the third, kind of the start of the fourth in those few moments where he kind of shouted at one point, he's done, he's finished. He was expecting, and he said after the fact, he was expecting the fight to be stopped, as was I. I think as were most people. Thankfully, it was very quickly into the fourth round. Um, it shouldn't have been. We'll talk about that later at some point. Um, I think I'm going to do a Speaker's Corner episode with my friend Harry Powell at Severe MMA about it because it's a topic we both are interested in. But for Volkanovski to go out and have that performance against a fighter of this caliber, against a fighter that everyone rates as highly as they rate Chan Sung Jung and to stop him in such dominant fashion and to beat him in such dominant fashion to me is another reminder and, and that solidifying piece that Volkanovski is the best fighter on the planet right now. His fight IQ is off the charts. His ability to phase shift in the middle of fights, his ability to make adjustments in the middle of fights, his understanding of what he does best and ability to stay within himself at all times, perpetually unbothered, forever unflappable, sets him apart from even the rest of the elite class in the UFC. It's not that he's head and shoulders above anybody. Kamaru Usman is phenomenal. Valentina Shevchenko is absolutely wonderful to watch and as skilled as anybody on the planet. Charles Oliveira 
has shored up every hole and answered every question we had about him and developed into one of the most dangerous fighters on the planet. But for me, watching what this man has done in going 11-0 in the UFC and winning 21 consecutive fights against an escalating, increasingly dangerous list of opponents puts Volkanovsky in a class of his own ahead of the pack right now, even if it's only by a little, even if it's only until Kamaru Usman fights again or gets another opportunity to wrest that title back or Valentina Shevchenko gets a chance. On Saturday night and right now on sad on Sunday, Alexander Volkanovsky, to me, is the most impressive, best fighter on the planet. You don't have to agree. That's what makes this fun. That's what makes this enjoyable. But you also don't have to convince me otherwise because you won't be able to. What I've seen from this man over his UFC career tells me he's the best fighter on the planet right now. Co-main event of the evening, the grudge match, the rematch, the second chance, if you will, for Aljamain Sterling. He makes good, earning a split decision win over Piotr Jan in a interesting, I, I won't call it a back and forth five round fight because it wasn't really back and forth. It was one way and then the other. The first round was close, became the deciding factor. Two judges giving it to Sterling, one giving it to Piotr Jan. Second and third rounds, all Sterling, all grappling, doing kind of what I expected him to do if he was going to win this fight. Take, P take Piotr Jan to the ground, get on his back, dominate him, hunt for submissions, make him tired, make him work, make him be defensive. It was really impressive 10-minute stretch for Aljo there. And then Jan does what we expect him to do and, and what he's very much capable of doing in the final two rounds, coming out, defending the takedown, winning the striking exchanges, winning some grappling exchanges, and making this a really close fight. I said on Saturday, watching it live, that I felt we were going to a draw. I had scored the first for Piotr Jan, give Aljamain Sterling a 10-8 in round two because I thought he did enough work in terms of the three Ds that you're looking for, dominance, duration, and damage. The damage piece maybe isn't there, but that to me all comes down to how you merit kind of takedown or submission attempts, excuse me. 10-9 Sterling in the third, 10-9 Jan over the last two rounds for 47-47. A draw and, and an opportunity to do, the, do this a third time. It doesn't go that way. Sterling gets his hand raised, gets the belt officially, undisputed UFC bantamweight champion. And it seems like the next fight is already set. TJ Dillashaw is the name he called out. Dillashaw was there. Seems welcome. Seems interested. And I know there have been a lot of people that have said, well, well, why does Dillashaw get next, given that he's coming off a loss, given that, you know, Jose Aldo went out and beat Rob Font, and he's on a winning streak. Why does it go to Dillashaw? Goes to Dillashaw because Corey Sandhagen had to tag in to face Piotr Jan last October when Aljo wasn't medically cleared for the rematch the first time. Goes to TJ Dillashaw because that was an ultra-close fight between he and Corey Sanhagen last summer. It goes to TJ Dillashaw because he is a, for good or bad, two-time former bantamweight champion and a hell of a fighter and a dangerous opponent. And so it becomes one of those situations, and I think I said that he, he lost to 
to Corey Sanhagen. He, he beat Corey Sanhagen in that fight. I thought Corey Sanhagen did enough to get the win, but obviously remembering correctly and, and correcting myself here, Dillashaw got that win. And so that moves him to the front of the line to beat that guy that was ready to go in Aljo's stead and in TJ's stead as well, because he was recovering from surgery. So that's the reason it's Dillashaw. He's also a big name. I know Jose Aldo is as well, but there will be a tension and a back and forth to this fight in social media, in the media itself, that will play very, very well. It already started last night. Aljo's kind of trying to find a way. It's not necessarily leaning into being a heel. It's being himself and, and finding the right balance of bad, cringy trash talk and just being you know, confident in his skills and abilities that will set this up. I think it's an interesting fight. It's very similar. A lot of Aljo's fights are going to be the same in terms of how we break them down, in terms of how we look at them. It, it will always, for him, come down to his ability to dictate long stretches of time on the canvas and his ability to get fights there in the first place or finish early from the grappling perspective. He is improving his striking but he's never going to be on the level of a Piotr Jan, of a Corey Sandhagen, of a TJ Dillashaw and a Jose Aldo on the feet. And so he needs to play to his strengths. He needs to continue working to get fights to the canvas and implement his incredible jiu-jitsu game, his tremendous submission grappling. For Piotr Jan, he said he wants a rematch. I understand why he wants a rematch. I think somewhere down the line, we will see a third fight between these two, it feels inevitable to me at this point, given the closeness of this fight, given that Dana White came out afterwards and said he thought the judges got it wrong. But I also like that they're not going to do it right away. I like that we're going to put some space between them, even if it is just one fight. A lot of names have been thrown out there for Piotr Jan in terms of what should be next. I don't think you do a rematch with Jose Aldo. I think you preserve Aldo a little bit and let him be a guy that's kind of waiting in the wings and available to fight for the title if need be. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to him being kind of the, the backup fighter and, and the 1B to Dillashaw for Aldo's next title defense just so that he's not put through the ringer and kind of burned off this impressive run because beating Rob Font the way he did a few months back is impressive. What he's done since moving to Bantamweight is really impressive to get into this position. And so I think you don't burn him as a contender at this point. Which to me means you give Pyotr Jan Marab Valishvili, Aljo's training partner, close friend, and a surging contender in his own regard. He has a similar approach in that it is grappling heavy. But he's also a maniac. He's also a lunatic. We saw it in the fight with Marlon Marais, where they just went out and, and beat the face off each other for seven and a half minutes. And yes, there were takedowns in there. And Marab is always going to look for takedowns. He holds the record for the most takedowns in, in a period of time, I believe, or in a three-fight stretch in the division and things like that. He's He is aptly named the machine. And that's the kind of fight that he needs to continue to move forward. But it's also far enough back in the pack for Piotr Jan that it doesn't become the one victory he needs to put him right back into the title picture. And I don't think he needs to get shuffled right back in immediately. This feels like an opportunity to me for the UFC to get back to what they did 
kind of a decade ago where if you lost a title fight or you lost the title for that matter and, and didn't have a dominant run where you got an immediate rematch, you had to win one or two. You had to go back and fight a couple of guys in order to get yourself back in there. Piotr Jan is clearly one of the best bantamweights on the planet. He will very much remain in the championship mix, but he doesn't need to be there and fighting for the belt again in the next 12 months. This can be an 18-month or a 24-month break where we see what else happens in this division, which is, for my money, as you guys know from listening to this and, and from reading what I write, the best division, the most competitive, the most talent-rich division in the UFC right now. So it's okay to let him take that little step back to reset, to continue building, to be kind of that looming guy on the horizon that's always hovering over the title picture while we work some other people into that mix. Now, I know TJ Dillashaw is not a fresh name, but he was in a position and he positioned himself with that performance against Corey Sanhagen to be right here. And so you do that one, you keep out, you keep Jose Aldo around, you see where that kind of lines up. You've got some other fights coming up. Marlon Vera and Rob Font are going to do it. Corey Sanhagen will come back and still be in the mix at some point. And you move forward that way. It's going to be an incredible time in the bantamweight division over these next 6, 9, 12 months. And as you know, I can't wait to see it. Middle fight on the main card, Hamzat Chemaev answers all the questions. Goes out, puts it on Gilbert Burns in the first round, gets it put on him in the second, and has to fight his way back in the third to kind of salt this away and, and take control of this contest. If Look, I, I was probably the most vocal and the most ardent pump the brakes guy when it came to Chemaev coming out of the gate. I didn't think there was anything great about beating the hell out of John Phillips. I didn't think there was anything great about pitching a shutout against Reese McKee, even though I know that Reese McKee is a good fighter, not to frustrate my Irish friends. And I didn't think there was that much to, to knocking out Gerald Mearshart, even though I know GM3 is a good fighter. The Legion Jing Liang win last fall started to convince me that not that the hype was real and not that this guy was, was talented, because it's clear that that Hamzat Chemaev is a talented fighter, but that it might be more than just a bunch of people getting really worked up about dominant efforts against not great competition. Saturday night swung me the other way. This guy is legit. This guy is a monster. This guy is all the things that everybody else has been saying about him this whole time. And it's not that he beat Gilbert Burns that decides that, although that is part of it. But it's the way that he beat him. It's the tough parts that he had to go through. It's the getting punched in the face. We talked in the lead up to this fight. And anybody that you asked about this fight and about Hamzad in particular said, I want to see him have to deal with circumstances that he hasn't dealt with yet. I want to see how he reacts to getting punched by somebody as powerful and as skilled as Gilbert Burns. I want to see what happens when the momentum isn't in his favor and he's not just steamrolling guys because it's one thing to be the hammer. It's another thing to be the nail. And we saw on Saturday that he's capable 
of navigating those two worlds and continuing to press forward. He got hit more times, and this is a, a an easy, dumb stat because he only got hit once, but he got hit more times in that fight than he's probably been hit in his entire career, actually. Not just his UFC career. And he got put through the fire by the number two ranked welterweight in the division, and he came out victorious on the other end. Even if you want to argue that that third round was ultra close or that Gilbert Burns won or whatever the case may be, the takeaway from that fight is that Hamza Chemaev is the real deal. You do not go from beating even a talented but maybe kind of limited, maybe kind of capped out fighter like Li Jingliang to fighting the number two fighter in the division, a guy that fought for the title just over a year ago and put Kamaru Usman on shaky legs right out of the gate and have a performance like that if you are not the real deal. You don't hang with Gilbert Burns if you are not a contender. It is why many of the people in this division haven't been rushing out to fight Gilbert Burns. And Hamzat Chemaev accepted that call. He accepted that challenge. He wanted a challenge like this. And while it wasn't pretty and it wasn't as dominant as those four victories before it, this was the best performance of his career. This, I think, is probably where I different, I'm, I'm different than a lot of my contemporaries, than a lot of fans who seem to favor and prefer these one-sided performances. That, to me, is his best performance because he has to struggle. Anybody can look good when they are the odds-on favorite and head and shoulders better than the guy standing across from him, the man or woman standing across from him. But you go out and you have a performance like that where you get tested, where you're beaten up, you're bloody, you're put on skates a couple of times, there's some moments of, of peril and you still survive it, that's your best performance to me. That's the one that tells me so much more about him as a competitor, as a contender, as an athlete, as a man for that matter, than any of these other fights. And so as the guy that initially, that first year on Fight Island, said, let's pump the brakes and said, let's go easy with the he should fight a ranked fighter right away and you got to capitalize on all of this stuff. I owe an apology. This is my mea culpa to Hamzat Chemaev. You, sir, are the real deal. I cannot wait to see what's next. And I really hope it's Colby Covington because God damn, that sounds like a good fight. Think about that, right? Here's Hamzat Chemaev, a guy that nobody wants to fight. You've got Colby Covington, who is a miserable assignment for anybody. And he's the only man standing between Chemaev and Kamaru Usman at this point in terms of the rankings. Because I do believe that Hamzat Chemaev will, will fly up to number two in the rankings when they reset on Tuesday or when they're re recalibrated on Tuesday. Covington's coming off that great performance against Jorge Masvidal. The only guy that has beaten him in the last number of years is Kamaru Usman. He is the last test. He is the, the big boss before the final boss. And I would love to see that fight. I think it is such a fascinating fight from a stylistic perspective in terms of the wrestling and the conditioning and the pace and the energy. I don't at all in any way look forward to to the shit talking that will happen between the two because I think Covington is terrible and Chemayev is forced in too much and it's a lot of screaming and yelling that I don't need. But from a competitive standpoint, from a skill standpoint, 
from a let's figure this out, let's find out all the way what this guy is, that's the fight to make to me. And I know that some people will say, performance like that, man, you got to you gotta bump him ahead of Leon Edwards. And, and again, if you've listened to this pod, if you've read anything I've written in the last number of years, you know how I feel about fighters on extended winning streaks and unbeaten streaks not getting an opportunity to fight for the title. That is a fight that has to happen. Put Covington and Chemayev on the bill with them or the week before or the week after and let's get the top of the division sorted out. Let's set up the next fight for the title, potentially, because I don't think we need to see Colby in there again. Although if he beats Hamzat Chemayev, that that can maybe be his pass to a, to a third fight with Usman or a fight with Leon Edwards if if Edwards gets the job done. Let's put that fight together. Let's get that fight around the next championship fight and let's see what happens. I think it's a terrific matchup. I like the idea of it being on ABC to showcase Shemaev to the largest audience possible. I want to see it over five rounds. That's the fight to make. Gilbert Burns said everything he needed to say in his post-fight interview afterwards. He's not going anywhere. He's still a top five welterweight. He's still going to be in there willing to fight whoever needs a dance partner, whoever wants to try to use him as a stepping stone to move forward. He's a G. He'll be out there. This was still a very good performance from him, even though he comes away with a loss. This division, the top end of this division, is looking very entertaining. Let's get it all booked up and and get it moving forward. We get to the women's strawweight fight. Mackenzie Dern gets a split decision win over Tisha Torres. This was a tough one for me. Um, It comes down to the first round, same same as the co-main event. Um really comes down to whether you're valuing um, number of strikes and sort of overall effectiveness versus kind of the impact and the damage of the shots Mackenzie Dern landed because that was really the differentiation point. Second round, clearly for Mackenzie Dern. To me, third round, clearly for Tisha Torres. And so we come down to the first. I scored it for Torres. I'm not going to sit here and argue too vociferously that this was a robbery or anything like that. I hate that word. Don't think it happens very often. I will rewatch it at some point. Hopefully tomorrow I'll be able to get a little double rewatch in and and do Sterling Yan and Dern Torres. The takeaway for me with this is still that Mackenzie Dern is a work in progress. It is progress that is clearly being made. Her hands are getting better. She does throw with heat. She does want to be in there. But she still needs to work on her setups her entries, getting into her grappling game. We saw it in the second. As soon as she's able to grapple, it's such a different fight. And the reactions of her opponents are so different because she is world-class. There's there's nobody in this division, maybe not anybody on the female side of things, that is as good a grappler, as good a submission artist as Mackenzie Dern. Tisha Torres spent the bulk of that second round in jeopardy, having to make little micro movements to stay safe but avoid getting caught where you can't throw any offense. You can't try to force your way out or rush your way out because if you do, you're caught and it's over. And so for me, Mackenzie Dern, while she does need to continue the work she's been doing with Jason Perillo in terms of developing her striking and developing her hands and getting a little more fluid on the feet, which she has done 
over these last couple of years. The biggest thing for me would be getting with a wrestling coach or getting with someone like Damian Maya if you can coax him into giving you six months worth of training to figure out how to better set up that grappling, those grappling situations to where she's not shooting from a mile away and it's telegraphed as we saw in, in portions of the first round where Tisha Torres is able to block the head early and get away from it. The thing that Maya always did well from the start of his UFC career and, and before that all the way through was that he wasn't kind of just rushing in and, and throwing these ugly shots. There were times where there were, but there were also really good setups where he understood that all I need to do is close this distance and get my hands on you, and get my hands together, and then you're stuck. Then you're in my world and I can manipulate things. It's like we saw with Alexi Alinek in the prelims. It's just the fact of, of getting his hands on you. It's like Paul Craig. It's why Paul Craig is, is so willing to accept bottom and so willing to pull guard. As long as he gets a hold of you, he knows he's there. Mackenzie Dern still hasn't figured out the get a hold of you part. And I think until she does, she's going to be limited. She's going to be kind of tapped out here where she is right now because the fighters ahead of Torres and ahead of her in the pecking order are so smooth on the feet and so good at managing distance and range and using their weapons that are going to keep her outside. Part of what sir didn't serve Tisha Torres on Saturday night or part of what hampered her on Saturday night is that she doesn't have the power to really make Mackenzie Dern pay for coming in reckless and for trying to close the distance without setting it up, right? Marina Rodriguez, we saw the last time out, has that power to do that. Yoana Yanjechik has the power to do that. Rose Nama Yunus, Zhang Wei Li, they have the power to do it. Would love to see Mackenzie Dern, Carlos Barza fight at some point. Grappler versus grappler. Let's just get scrambly. Let's get weird. I'm into it. But Dern needs to work on that wrestling piece because if she can unlock that, if she can take that from where it is now and level it up one or two kind of talent points, one or two, you know, level points, she becomes that much better. And she's already very, very good. Remember, this is an athlete that at the start of her career, people questioned and, and rightfully questioned her commitment to this, her dedication to the craft, her passion for doing MMA. And was it just a thing to do to keep her name out there? And she was trying to juggle MMA and BJJ and seminars and all these different things. There's no questions of that now. She is all in on this and it's showing. She, she's showing you the work she's done. And if she does this other little piece of work, if she does this focused, intensive study on the wrestling piece, on the setup piece, I think she can be a contender. I think she can be someone that genuinely challenges for the title in this division. And that's saying a lot because the top five, top six of this division is easily the best top five, top six on the women's side of things. This is easily the best division in the UFC in terms of women's women's female fighters, excuse me. And Mackenzie Dern is part of that. And there's still room to grow. And that should be scary to all the straw weights and the motivating factor for Mackenzie Dern going forward. 
Opener on the main card, Mark Madsen gets a unanimous decision win, 30-27 twice and 29-28. The 30-27s are confusing to me. I thought Vince Michelle clearly won the second round, as did one of the officials. So kudos to whoever that was. I don't have the scorecards in front of me. You got it right. Your colleagues got it wrong. But ultimately, the end result is correct. Mark Madsen gets the victory, moves to 12-0 in his pro career, continues to be undefeated in the UFC, continues working forward. And I think Mark Madsen is a guy, the takeaway for me, and, and it was a thought I had going in because I did pick Vince Pichel. I thought Pichel would be the test that was a little bit too much for Mark Madsen. He is showing that he's continuing to make those improvements, which, which shouldn't be surprising given the fact that he is a lifelong competitor, given the fact that he's a three-time Olympian and an Olympic medalist at that, and given that he's moved his family to Arizona to pursue this with absolute laser focus. He, he is all in. I've had the chance to speak with Mark a couple of times and he talks about it as that Olympic commitment and says like, there's something different about, and he's 100% right. There's something different about foregoing all the things that everybody else wants to do, all the times, all the trips, the birthdays, the parties, the dinners out, the this, that, the other, in pursuit of a goal. His family has backed him on this all the way through and continues to, and does now as his wife is battling multiple sclerosis, which was a diagnosis she got last year. And, and 2021 was a hell of a year for the family. I wrote about it on, on OSDB Sports. You can go and check that out. Um, and for them to be all in like this tells you what this man is after. And as maybe cringeworthy as his post-fight interview was, it's legitimate. He is he is here to see how good he is and to test himself against the best. And so the takeaway for me and the next step here is to get him in there against one of these top five, top 15 fighters or maybe somebody just on the outside. Get him in there with a Drew Dober, somebody picking a name of, of somebody that competed very recently. Get him in there with a Gregor Gillespie who has tremendous wrestling and pace and conditioning and heart that will test Mark Madsen in the areas that he's best, but can also go with him on the feet and has the ability to, to match him or best him on the feet. Get him in there with Armin Saryukin, who's coming off his vicious performance against Yoel Alvarez and is unbeaten since, since starting his career with an assignment against Islam Mahashev. Madsen's 36 or 37 now. This division is loaded with talent. There is no need to slow play this. There is no need to have this be little half step forward after beating Vince Pichel. This needs to be big step forward and let's find out. Not because the division needs contenders, but because Madsen's going to want to find out. And if you're the UFC, you should want to find out. Because this could be a really incredible story of a guy that you don't want to just kind of run out the clock on. He doesn't have, he said a couple of years and then I'm world champion or not. And I'm done. Like this is a, he's not going to be around and doing this when he's 41, 42 years old. This is a short window situation. So get him out there with somebody that is ahead of him in the pecking order that has a number next to their name. And let's find out because if he beats Drew Dober, or Gregor Gillespie, or Armin Saryukin, then it's into that group of fighters. 
that is always in the title picture and always in the title conversation. And if he beats that guy, then here you go. You've got this crazy story, this unbeaten Olympic silver medalist marching forward amidst all these different things. These are the things the UFC should be trying to actively cultivate. Not from a favorable matchup perspective, but from a looking at the big picture perspective and kind of thinking two steps and three steps ahead of where this could go. Because it's also a big opportunity forever for whoever faces Madsen and for whoever ends up being the guy that stops his unbeaten run. Because that's a big win. You don't get to 12-0 if you're not talented. You don't win Olympic silver medals if you're not ultra-talented. And so this is a golden opportunity to set up a really big fight in this division that is already full of really interesting fights at the absolute top end. So you can get something really cool started just below that championship group that propels somebody no matter the outcome. And that should always be what the UFC is looking at. And so whether it is Saryukin, whether it is Drew Dober, whether it is Gregor Gillespie or somebody that I haven't named yet, there needs to be a step up in competition here and a good one for Mark Madsen later this year so that we figure out one way or another if he's going to continue progressing or if that person that beats him can go into the final quarter of the year or the first quarter of next year with that added momentum of ending his unbeaten run and continuing their advancement to become a player in the 155-pound weight class. Going to go through the prelims pretty quickly. Ian Gary gets a unanimous decision win over Darian Weeks. This was, to me, the performance that Ian Gary needed. I know a lot of people were disappointed with it in terms of not the finish, in terms of not the dominant effort that people were hoping for. But when you strip all of that back and you look at it from the perspective of He's a 24-year-old kid that just needs time. This is exactly what he needs. He goes out, he gets a unanimous decision win. There are some good moments. There are some things to build upon. He is handling this 100% correct. Every time I hear him speak, when we talked about him on the preview show for Severe, I'm more and more impressed with this kid. I'm very glad that he didn't go out and have a blistering performance to kind of force the UFC's hand or, or seemingly force the UFC's hand I want him to get the time to progress. He doesn't need to be hustled along at some breakneck pace. He's 24. He's got all the time in the world. He has all the skill in the world. I do think he will become a contender at somewhere down the line if he continues on this trajectory. All the pieces are there. Give him time. Anthony Hernandez gets a unanimous decision win over Josh Fremd. Fluffy's a frustrating dude to me because he just seems sloppy. Um, the the raw materials are there, but he feels like a guy that is is chasing submissions instead of valuing position. Feels like a guy that really just hasn't been he really hasn't been coached up the right way. He hasn't been shown all the things that he's great at and taught how to play to those strengths and build on those things and and stick to those things. And you saw that in this fight because Josh Fremd had some moments where he kind of rallied back. And every time it felt like Fluffy was, was getting the momentum and getting close to a finish, he dove on a submission that wasn't there and it gave Josh Fremd a chance to kind of work his way back into the fight a little bit. A lot of people were super impressed with this fight, really loved this contest. I thought it was sloppy and not that great. Fluffy's a guy that he's going to need to prove himself. 
He has been inconsistent in the UFC cage. This is now two straight wins. But with all due respect to Josh Fremd, I don't put a ton of weight into this one. The Vieira fight last year, absolutely big win, good win. Let's move him forward. Let's get him into the fight that he had signed up for at one point against Adricus Duplessis. Let's get him in there against somebody that is just outside the top 15 where he's got to be cleaner, where he's got to be more efficient, where he's got to be more measured and patient to get a victory. And if he can do those things, then fine, he moves forward. That's what you want. But it forces him to kind of raise his game. And I think that's what he needs. From my perspective, in my opinion, that's what he needs. His teammate Aspen Lab needs something very different. She goes out on Saturday and loses a, a unanimous decision to Raquel Pennington. She and her team were the only ones that were surprised by the outcome of that fight. They looked absolutely aghast by the scores being 29-28 across the board for Raquel Pennington. Look, I think Aspen Ladd is, is being squandered right now. I think the last couple years of her career have been a bit of a waste and a bit of a wash. Um, she has regressed skill-wise or talent-wise or, or even just performance-wise in her last few UFC fights. Um, it's telling that she doesn't go out there and grapple until the three-minute mark or the two-minute mark of the third round. When that is her bread and butter, that's the thing we all laud her for, right, is the physical strength and her ground and pound. And yet she's out here trying to have a kickboxing match with Raquel Pennington, who is a better athlete, who is a more fluid striker, who is a better boxer, just straight up. And there, I don't really know anybody that's going to argue otherwise. And if Jim, Jim West and Aspen Ladd and her team got together and said, you know what, we can go out here and win a kickboxing match against Raquel Pennington. We should go out here and just throw on the feet with this girl because we can beat her. Then you don't know what you're watching and you are delusional about this. And it's such a waste because Aspen Ladd was such an intriguing talent when she was coming up through Invicta and in those first few UFC fights. Even though there were moments where Lena Landsberg is beating her in her first fight. You saw Aspen Ladd get to that ferocity and turn it on and take it to the ground and finish that fight. I thought we were going to see that. Even going into the, this is this is how good Aspen Ladd is and how much I believe in her skills. When she puts Raquel Pennington on the fence and on the canvas in the third round, there was a more than 50% chance for me that she's going to pound out that finish if she just lets loose. If she just digs back into that ferocious fighter that beat Lena Landsberg, that turned it on against Yana Kunitskaya, that went shot for shot wading through the fire against Sajara Eubanks. But that wasn't there. And the fact that that hasn't been there over these last few fights for Aspen Ladd and that the game plan was what it was on Saturday night feels like she is just being wasted. Like this is a fighter that needs to be a grappler, a grinder, fight grimy, play to her strengths, which is her strength. And that's not happening. And it needs to change or else she is going to be one of those great, what could have been athletes in the UFC because she could have been great. And right now, I don't think she comes anywhere close to reaching that max potential that she had. I don't want to not mention Raquel Pennington here. This is a great performance. This is four straight wins for a fighter who at one point kind of felt like she has capped out and was kind of settled into where she was going to be. She went through 
a couple horrific accidents and surgeries and, and struggles for a good few years there, kind of leading into the fight with Amanda Nunes and coming out of it. But since her loss to Holly Holm, her second loss to Holly Holm, she is 4-0 and she's playing to her strength. She is the mirror. She is the counterbalance to Aspen Ladd here on Saturday night where Ladd comes out and is trying to do things that she is not good at, that she is not best at and fight in different ways. Coming out southpaw, Raquel Pennington reminds me of Neil Magny and that she too understands who she is what she is and what she's got to do. And that's work behind the jab. That's work behind her hands. That's be a boxer and go out there and make it grimy when you need to get in the clinch when you need to, and just go out and get in a fist fight. And she did that on Saturday and she moves forward. She solidifies her position in the division. She is to me, one of those ecosystem fighters that I always talk about where she probably isn't necessarily going to, elevate herself up into another championship opportunity, though she tried to pop kind of politic for one on Saturday night, calling out Sarah McMahon, though she didn't use her last name. So anybody that doesn't know the division doesn't necessarily know who Sarah is. But this is a great performance from a fighter that absolutely has solidified her position and sort of should be in some ways the blueprint for what Aspen Ladd and kind of many other fighters need to be. Know who you are. Understand who you are. Go out and do what you do best and you will go far with it. You just, you don't have to be anything you're not in order to be successful. You could just be who you are and, and do what you do well. And Raquel Pennington is continuing to prove that. Television prelim opener Mickey Gall goes out and faces Mike Malott. Gets knocked out, gets face planted. Shout out to the Canadian who gives a shout out to Waterdown, Ontario. I have played many around a golf in Waterdown during my high school years. Great performance, uses his time to talk about Joey Rodriguez and his daughter and their family. Um, shout out to Coach Joey and, and his daughter and their family. All the prayers to them as she goes through her battle with leukemia. This is a good win for Mike Malott. It's it's another tough break for Mickey Gall, who just hasn't progressed the way that you would like to see a fighter progress. I do think he gets another chance, but that's sort of all I want to say about Mickey Gall. Mike Malott is a guy that's, that's going to be exactly what we saw on Saturday night going forward. He's going to be a guy that gets into these kinds of fights, and I'm always going to have time for that. I don't think at 30 years old and just getting into the UFC – He's going to progress to where he's a top 15 guy, and that's okay. He can be a Joe Lozon type in the middle of this division, having fun, entertaining, violent, bloody fights. That's all we need. Sometimes that's all we need. We need those athletes. We need sort of people that just exist in a space, and it's not necessarily always about two wins away or one win away or on their way to this or on their way to that. They're just professional fighters and people that are going to put on entertaining fights. And I think that's who proper Mike Malad is. This was a great performance, a beautiful finish, and he will go forward continuing to have some success and be a fun, entertaining addition to the 170 pound weight class. Quickly through the early prelims, Alexi Olenek gets win number 60. Scarf hold, choke on, on Jared Vandera, who then goes and dry heaves afterwards, which tells you 
how gnarly the squeeze is for Alexi Olenek. There's no forward progress here for, for Olenek. This isn't, oh, he's, he's close to contention. He's a 44-year-old grizzly bear that is one of a kind and the last of a, a he is a singular breed, as I've said a couple times over the last few months, prepping for this fight and, and prepping for opportunities for him. It's just fun to see, man. Like the, the takeaway is that it's fun to see and you don't want to go anywhere near the ground with this guy. Jared Vandera had some moments in that fight and then got a little too comfortable. Got a little too sure of himself on the ground. And you just saw Linick do exactly what he needed to do to reverse his way into position to choke this man into throwing up. It is awesome to see. Like take away all of his politics and and history within a region going through a great deal of conflict right now in the Ukraine and Russia and just focus on on the fighting part of this we're not going to see anyone like Alexei Olenek again and 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 especially not at heavyweight we're we're not going to get this specialist this sell out for takedown sell out for grappling kind of ogre of a man with very robotic, very stiff striking that could just choke you out in any number of ways. It was cool to see. I'm happy he got win number 60. I don't doubt that he will try to continue fighting for five or ten more years. I look forward to seeing it because every time I enjoy it. Pierre Rodriguez gets a win in her debut over Kay Hansen. The takeaway for me here or the focus for me here is Hansen who feels like a fighter at 22 years old and 13 fights into her career. As I said on Saturday night, that is kind of in need of a change of scenery. And I don't say that in terms of questioning her coaches, but it's more about putting herself in a position where she can maximize the obvious talents that she has and the obvious upside that is there by being in a room with elite fighters, elite training partners, coaches that have been there and done that and know how to get a fighter ready to compete at this level. Because it feels to me and it seems to me in watching Hanson's fights, like she has moments, but then that confidence breaks or she's she's unsure how to make the adjustments to keep things going her way. She had a very good first round and then it just flips and she loses the next two And she's unable to make adjustments and change things to keep Piero Rodriguez from taking control of the fight. And some of that just comes with experience and coaching and understanding and being in miserable positions in the training room. And if she goes somewhere like ATT or she goes somewhere like Syndicate where they have or Extreme Couture where they have robust female rooms of elite fighters. And they have a vast collection of world-class, top-tier talent that can be on the mats with her, that can be showing her things, teaching her things. Then I think she'd be able to unlock some of the things that are currently hindering her from being the best version of herself. Part of that is age. She's 22. But I also know that when you're starting out and you're that young, as these losses mount... They become it becomes harder and harder to work through. It becomes harder and harder to trust in your ability, to believe in your abilities, and push through those things 
because the evidence is showing that you can't do it. And so if she takes a break and figures out something else where the work in the gym can be the miserable part and then the application in the cage on a Saturday night can be rewarding as opposed to frustrating, I think we can still see a very good version of Kay Hansen going forward. Opening bout of the night, bantamweight division, Julio Arce misses weight, gets a unanimous decision win over Daniel Santos. This to me is just a classic no substitute for experience. Know who you are. Great middle of the pack fighter in, in Julio Arce beating up a kid that hasn't figured out that throwing spinning shit isn't what you need to be doing. We've seen that with a lot of fighters, right? His teammate Charles Oliveira has kind of whittled down and, and pulled out some of the, the craziness from his game. Max Holloway is a great example of somebody that threw a lot of big techniques when he was 21, 22 years old and took that out of his game the older he got because he understood that it was burning energy that he didn't need to burn. And Daniel Santos will figure that out or, or may figure that out at some point and still be somebody that is worth watching. But Julio Arce shows here that sound fundamentals and fighting a great slate on the way up in that East Coast regional circuit that includes Ring of Combat, that includes CFFC, is sort of the, the important piece and, a, and, an, and an important piece, easy for me to say for these athletes to prove themselves and establish themselves and give them a great base as they get to the UFC and look to continue building in the UFC. He's been inconsistent in terms of results. Part of that is that he's winning a fight and then getting bumped up a little too far. I think he is a perfect middle-of-the-pack guy in the bantamweight division that faces these younger guys. And, and as long as you know the UFC doesn't get a little too aggressive in terms of constantly throwing him in there, with the young, young up-and-coming guys and making him just this constant litmus test, I think he can continue to have a, a fruitful career in this division, doing exactly what he did on Saturday night, just going out and being a tough assignment for these newcomers and being a, a good dance partner for fellow veterans and being that litmus test for the young guys that we've seen him face already throughout his career. That's the end of that card. We move into Saturday. Another good card headlined by the, the welterweights, Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad running it back a bunch of years later. 12 fights, each of them. Since the first fight, Luque 10-2, Bilal 10-1 and one no contest. Should be a terrific fight. We will preview it over at Severe MMA on Thursday. Follow my Twitter. Check that for the link. Check my Instagram for the link. The show will go up live. It will also go up afterwards on their YouTube page. It is absolutely my favorite thing to do every week. And I absolutely adore it. And I hope you should check it out. I hope you check it out. I hope you tune in. They're a lot of fun to put together. And, and we, we have a good time doing it. It will be great. This was great. UFC 273 was great. We sold our house this week, which is great. We're looking at places. We're trying to figure out where we're going next. All of this is great. It's hectic. It's busy. It, it causes a lot of like shuffling of schedules and and breaking of routines which is a little nerve-wracking and anxiety producing for your boy but i'm getting through it and most of all i'm i'm excited about these fights man i'm excited about the slate that's on tap for the rest of the month i'm excited for what we saw on saturday i'm excited to sit down tomorrow and rewatch a couple of these close fights from the main card i'm excited for you to continue reading 
and enjoying and consuming this content. I hope you enjoy what I've been putting out. I'm trying to put out good stuff, quality content. I've been throwing the, the hashtag quality coverage out there because I think it is so important that we use these platforms we have to put good work and meaningful work, in my opinion, out into the world. And I hope I'm doing that for you. I appreciate you all checking it out. I appreciate you subscribing and liking the tweets and retweeting stuff and, and shouting me out when you get the opportunity. Thank you all for that. Thank you for your support and your continued encouragement. Have yourselves a wonderful week. Be good to one another. Be good to yourselves. And I will talk to you next Sunday.